0: All the best paper awards and honorable mentions this year in InfoVis were all written by women.
1: Data Stories is brought to you by Click. Are you missing out on meaningful relationships hidden in your data? Unlock the old story with ClickSense through personalized visualizations and dynamic dashboards which you can download for free at click.de/datastories.
2: Everyone welcome to a new episode of Data Stories. My name is Boris Stefana and I'm an independent designer of data visualizations and I am Enrico Bertini,
1: I am a professor at NYU in New York and I do research in visualization.
2: Together uh, on this podcast we talk about data visualization, analysis and in general the role data plays in our lives and uh, usually we do that together with a guest or two that we invite on the show. So what's the topic today yeah. Enrico? <laughs>
1: so today we talk. It's actually a kind of recurring topic. We are going to talk about um, some of what happened at the I Tripoli Conference, and we've been doing that for for a number of years now. But the main difference this year is that I couldn't go, and uh, <laughs> so it's going to be a little a little different than usual because we used to record it live from the conference. And before I introduce our guests, I just want to explain what the conference is about for those. You are not familiar with it, so the 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 Viz Conference is basically the one of the main, if not the main, academic visualization uh, conference in visualization. This happens uh, every year, typically in October, and um, there are lots of things going on. It's a, it's a whole week. It's a very long program, and uh, I think. Uh, from the academic point of view, the main event is uh, people presenting research papers, but there is much more than that. And there are three main tracks. One is called InfoVis, one is called VAST, and one is called SciVis. I think, I, I wouldn't go in details exactly what these three tracks mean, because I- even people who are who have been attending the conference for many years are, are confused about that. <laughs> but basically, it's, it's it's an academic conference, but there are lots of other things going on. So there are panels where people Discuss topics. There are workshops where people work on a specific. A topic and try to make progress. There are uh, typically there is a keynote speaker and a capstone speaker at the end of the conference, and there is an art program. So there is a lot going on. So unfortunately, w- we can't really cover everything. We're actually going to cover just a tiny part of it. But in order to do that, we have some help from some uh, friends, <laughs> uh, people who've been <laughs> on the show a few times by now. So we have Jessica Hallman and Robert. Sara. Hey, Jessica and Robert, how are you? Good.
0: Hey, doing well. How are you? Good. So
1: you guys are all friends of uh, of the show, but I think it's important to briefly introduce yourself for those people who don't know you yet. So maybe Jessica, you want to briefly start?
3: Sure. Yeah. So I'm an assistant professor at the University of Washington. I'm in the information school. Um, I'm also within the interactive data lab in, uh, in CSE with jo- Jeff Hare. Um, and my work is mainly focused on information visualization, although I dabble in other topics, a little bit of NLP and science communication, etc.
0: And I am a research scientist at Tuple Software and do a lot of work around uh, what's called data storytelling, which is a totally different topic for another podcast, and also data presentation and perception and things like that. OK, great. So what we want to do today is to go through some
1: highlights from the from the Viz conference. Unfortunately, this year I, I, I couldn't go, so I'm really looking forward to hearing from you what happened there. Of course, the, the conference is, is really big, and there's lots Going on for it's how many days a whole week of, of full program so we're gonna cover a tiny portion portion of the of the conference um, so I think we we want to start with a few selected papers so we're gonna have Jessica and Robert talking about some some papers they have selected and um, so maybe Jessica you wanna start with your first uh, choice
3: sure yeah um, so this one. Yeah, it's a good uh, paper to start with, actually, because it's all about sort of like how visualizations work on a very fundamental level. Um, but it's a paper uh, blinded by science um, or informed by charts, a replication study by Pierre Dragachevic and Yvonne Janssen. And... So I wanted to talk about this paper because I think it's a really cool look at sort of what visualizations do. Um, And so they were inspired by this study that came out, I think in 2014, and that got a lot of media coverage, which basically was looking at, if you're presenting data to people, just simple information, in this case, about like how much a certain drug reduces the chances of having the common cold, um, what's the effect of adding a chart? And so this original study claimed that if you're giving people this simple information about a drug that has reduced the occurrence of the common cold by like 20%, um, you can give it to them in text, but if you add a chart, people will actually believe that the drug is more effective. Um So they'll say things like, it's more effective, um, and if you ask them numerically, and they'll say things like, uh, it's more likely to actually reduce illness, um, and so this study, like I said, got some media attention. Um, and so Pierre and Yvonne wanted to kind of question um, one of its claims, which was that uh, basically if the chart, the reason the chart improved or made people believe more in the drug was that Um, people just think charts are scientific. So they said in the original study, the chart is trivial. It's not actually informing people because they're getting the numbers in the text. And so charts just make people believe things are scientific. And so they doubted that, Pierre and Yvonne did. So they did a series of replication studies trying to sort of pick apart what really happened. Like, is it is it really the case that the chart did nothing or was the chart just showing the data in a different way that somehow um, might've changed things? And and also does this, this effect replicate? So do people actually believe more in the drug? And so what they found through their four different studies, which are like different tweaks on the original experiment and different replications of the original studies are that uh, one, the effect did not replicate at all. So they did not see people believing that the drug was more effective from a chart. Um, and, uh, I think, I mean, basically, there was just like a lot of variants as well. Um, I think, I mean, that's kind of the main finding on the replication. But what was interesting is that they kind of, um, really started to take apart, like, what is a graph and can you really have a trivial graph, which I thought was cool. So they had a slide where they tried to show, like, what would a trivial graph be, a graph that just does not inform people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so their example was kind of funny. It was like a chart. It was like a choropleth of like Europe or European countries where they were showing on each country, uh, per capita, which is obviously one, it's the same for every country. So it was kind of a, an amusing sort of um, example, but I think also, you know, really interesting exercise, like charts don't really not inform. And so my favorite part about the study, before I wrap up, is just that they went into cognitive psychology and looked at all this research about like, what is the fundamental role of a chart and how does it differ from text? And so it was a really nice um, just piece of work about visualizations in general that I think covered all the right stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's such a hard topic. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. yeah. When you get
3: that low level. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We've been doing some, some similar work in the past and I, I, I was like, it's so hard. Once you start reading the, 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 Cognitive psychology part <laughs> behind it is just like, honestly, I kind of like yeah. get, stopped doing this because I felt like I was not qualified enough. It's, like, like, just, it's just like, just, like, I don't real know science. enough. To, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's real science. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just want to briefly say well, actually, that. It's, it's,
0: oh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's also real science in a different sense because <laughs> it's a replication of a diff, of of exactly, study, which is yes. really unusual mm-hmm. in yes. visualization. Yeah. So yes. it's, it's a real yeah, it first, no, basically, because. Cool. Well, yeah. well, it's not really the first ever, but it's yeah. certainly one of the first replications in, in this area. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which I think
3: so it shows that you can actually learn new things from replications. Like I think the community can learn a lot from this paper that just started with someone else's studies. So.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's great to see some re- replication work done. Yeah. But the main finding now is that just adding a chart doesn't really affect the persuasiveness of... They could not
3: replicate it. Yeah. So they, they could not replicate it. Yeah. Um, so, so it's not whatever clear claims if in the paper
2: per se add to the uh, persuasiveness or
3: no yeah hmm. no i believe that was their finding
0: well and in addition to that there is if you read andrew gelman's blog this this the 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 people behind the original study much of their other work has pretty much been debunked and and been oh, really? shown okay. to party yeah. be okay. based on fabricated data and so oh. it looks like that probably was also just tainted in this whole thing, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Or just so, like, yeah,
3: p-hacking or whatever, yeah. Yeah, ah. so
0: it's if you just go to Andrew Gelman's blog and, and Google the, the name OneSync, you're going to find lots and lots of stuff <laughs> about him. <laughs> yeah. And so it's it, it seems pretty... It, it, it did not surprise me that they could not replicate that paper yeah. or that work.
2: I mean, that's a general trend in psychology that a lot of these simple like clear-cut rules that were found in the past <laughs> turn out to be not so simple and clear-cut anymore right I mean yeah so but it's it's great that this is happening even if it's a bit depressing sometimes but it's <laughs> one step uh, further I guess yeah yeah um, yeah Robert what's one of your uh, highlights uh, in terms of the publications this year
0: So the first one that I picked here is actually one of Jessica's papers. (laughs) This is called keeping multiple views consistent, constraints, validations and exceptions in visualization authoring. And I'm going to do a horrible job now of, of butchering this. This is with uh, (laughs) Jessica and her student, Senning Q. I'm not even sure how to pronounce her last name. The paper was really interesting. This was, I think, uh, an honorable mention for the, uh, for the best paper and in InfoVis. And the idea was to look at how you Arrange and how you synchronize different views in a dashboard. So we talk about multiple views in, in visualization a lot, and we talk about linking and brushing. But how you actually make those those multiple view dashboards uh, that that contain these things and how those should actually relate to each other is not clear. There are very few rules or guidelines how to do that. We know a lot about single views, but we don't really know how to work when to work with multiple views at the same time. Uh, and so Jessica and Senning looked at things like when should this, the scales align and when should they start at the same, at the same point at zero or not? How should they be, uh, how should colors be used across the different, different views? How should different encodings be used? And when, and when do you have to keep them the same? And when can you just not, when can you, Deviate from that and just use the same encoding for, for different things because you just run out of encodings fairly quickly if you insist yeah. on color being only one thing across multiple views in a dashboard. And so this was really interesting because it's a real problem. This is a real practical problem in, in, for people who are building these things uh, in, out in, in the world all the time. And there's really very little guidance. So that's, that's what's really interesting to see. And, I I don't remember the details of the study, but you actually, I think you guys ran an actual study on this to see what people would actually do, not just to kind of come up with these theoretical ideas, but try out what do people do when you just let them do things and then then use that to come up with, with guidelines based on, mm-hmm. on observing people, which I think is a really good way of doing
3: Well, things. yeah, we actually, it was just to clarify, the study was like a wizard of Oz. So we actually had a set of constraints, like where we actually kind of codified what we thought the design guidelines should be. And then we had people do things and we would basically warn them when they were violating like a constraint, like when they were using the same color to mean like 12 different things across multiple views. And so it was like a way of figuring out like, what are people actually thinking when they do this, like what are their strategies, and what do they think? Like when do they say no? I don't want it to be consistent across these views because yeah. something else yeah. is more important. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So w- what I really like about that is is that the fact that visualization theory is is. Almost exclusively about how to design one single chart. And there's very little knowledge yeah. about how do you put many charts together, either in a static or even interactive, say multiple view kind mm-hmm. of interface. There's so little out there. So that it's it's I, I think it's yeah. great that you're doing this type of work. It's it's it's, it's yeah. very inspiring. There's so much more to to research there. Yeah, there's so, a ton. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and totally. I think we, getting the models to work together. Sorry, I'm not supposed to talk.
0: So about <laughs> no, <own> yes. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's good. No, I was just <laughs> going to say that the, uh, there was also, I think we wanted to talk about this briefly, but I think we don't, didn't actually go to this. There was a panel on on visualization in practice and how industry and, and academia can work together, which I don't think any of us went to, but I can say that this is very relevant for us, certainly at Tableau, because we, of course, we have these, you know, multiple views, and and we don't have. I mean, we have guidelines for that, but we don't. We haven't haven't built them into the product. So it's interesting to see what Jessica has done and and see how much of that can inform our our design for the future and our features for the future. Sure.
1: Okay, Jessica, you want to go to your next pick?
3: Yeah. So um, uh, it's called uncertainty visualization by Rep- representative sampling from prediction ensembles by. Lou et al, um, a number of people on this, including like cognitive psychologists, um, and people who have been doing kind of work in uncertainty visualization. And so this one, I liked it because I like uncertainty visualization, or I think it's a really important problem. And uh, something that I think can be effective is when you show people rather than some like aggregate mark, um, like an error bar showing uncertainty, you show them an actual set of draws from a distribution to show like this is what could happen. And so it, uh, they're studying it as applied or their application that they talked about um, for what they did was this uh, hurricane cone Idea, so sometimes, oh, yeah. um. When you're warning people about hurricanes, they make these maps where you'll show sort of the uncertainty in the in the path that the hurricane could take by just making this like big cone shape, mm-hmm. which um, like one end is kind of fatter than the other end because there's more uncertainty when the hurricane is further away. So it's this weird shape. And basically, it makes people think that like, oh, the, uh, the hurricane's really big over here and it's really small over here. <laughs> like it just doesn't, it's hard to read that as uncertainty on a map when everything else means like size and spatial position. So what they did or what they've been sort of looking at and various people have looked at is um, presenting a set of samples or an ensemble um, showing like different possible paths that a hurricane, for instance, could take. And one of the problems you run into with that is that uh, if you want to show it in a static visualization, you want to show like a set of actual hurricane tracks you can run into occlusion. So if you just randomly draw a sample from your distribution of sort of possible paths of the hurricane, you can have some of the lines on top of each other, so it's hard to read. Um, and you also might end up with a sample, like if you're only drawing like 50 lines from a distribution, you have no guarantee that those 50 paths um, that you drew out are actually gonna represent the sort of whole distribution very well. Um, so. Their technique basically solves those two problems. So it's a way of sampling to make sure um, that your samples are representative of the underlying distribution and that you avoid occlusion when you show those in a visualization. So it was kind of a nice, very focused technique um, in an area uh, or a style of uncertainty visualization that I think we'll see more of. So that was why I was excited about it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's so useful. And I think. you you published some, maybe a couple of years ago, something similar. Do I remember yeah, that correctly? I'm, like I
3: said, yeah. I've had a few things um, along the same line. So one, looking at sort of what happens with when you show people a set of draws from a distribution using animation over time, yeah. um, which is... Uh, one of the things they mentioned, but they're more interested in the static case. Um, I've also been doing some work with Matt Kay and Sean Munson, um, where we're looking at showing people uncertainty in bus arrival times, where we've also, um, we've looked at static plots, but imagine like a PDF, like a probability density function made out of dots so that people can actually think concretely. So like I said, it's kind of like an interest area. So that's why I thought the paper was cool, but I I do think it's something we'll see more of, I hope.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. This makes me think about, another area of visualization i think is not very well covered which is the role of, of metaphors right i think the reason why the, the standard mm-hmm. one of the reasons why the standard representation doesn't work is is because we we link, mentally link size to size right so it's a it's a metaphor mm-hmm. problem there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and when you start drawing samples you naturally interpret this as as uncertainty right <laughs> so um, yeah i would more lo- naturally. I, yeah, yeah more yeah. naturally more naturally so i would love to see more more, more work on, on metaphors uh, that, that's another yeah. blind spot, I, I believe in visualization design
3: doesn't Robert has a paper? Yeah, on Yeah, I think Robert
1: <laughs> has been doing some metaphor work, right, Robert?
0: Yeah, but uh, well, I was just thinking uh, the, the, the thing about these these hurricane uh, visualizations in particular, they like to draw these little hurricane shapes with like the little swirls, yeah. and so then you see the swirl get bigger, and then of course, it looks like it's the actual storm. So they yeah, make it the too problem. cute in a the sense. They make it too literal. Yeah. And so then th- that gets yeah. in the way. If it was just the cone without the little swirls, it would be easier. But then people are so oh, used to I seeing see. the swirl uh-huh. that they just, yeah. so I think yeah. we've, they've already kind of been taught in a way to think of this as being the side of the storm. So it's yeah, hard to go back it. now.
3: Yeah. The New York Times did a really nice piece. Like if anyone's interested oh, yeah. in this, where they actually talk about all the problems. Um, it was uh, it was kind of a nice piece on uncertainty visualization by the designers there. <laughs> okay,
0: Robert, you want to go to your next pick? All right. So my next next pick. All right. So before I go to my next pick, I, I'm 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 going to talk very briefly about the setup this year at 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 this, which was because my next two picks are actually the best papers from InfoVis and, mm, and VAST. Yeah. And so at Viz, there are these three conferences, uh, InfoViz, Well, the the correct order, I guess, is is vast because the V comes first in this and then I and infovis and then S, SciVis. So in vast is the, the visual analytics, uh, conference. And then there's InfoViz, information visualization and scivis scientific visualization. And what they did the first time this year was they presented all three best papers in the opening session. And this was even before the keynote. So that was really interesting because it was a different way of doing things. And it brought together all those three papers from the three different areas, which I think it's a good idea and i hope we can actually do a bit more of this kind of crossover between the different conferences because the conference has kind of grown apart a little bit where there are these separate threads where everybody's just doing their own thing but uh, you're not really going to the other tracks and so seeing at least the best paper from the other track is i think is a good idea and so mm. my my next paper here is the best paper from infoviz which was Unusual, uh, for, uh, another reason than its content, which is it was a single author paper, which is pretty unusual in, in InfoVis. You mostly have people, have papers by, written by at least two people and more like three or four or five people. But this is modeling color difference for visualization design by Danielle Albers Sophia. And, uh, she had this, uh, she basically looked at how do color models that people have built for Kind of general use. How do they apply or do they apply to data visualization? And there are a number of, of models that are useful to think, to, to use when you, when you're trying to change things in a predictable way. So like there's the CIE lab space, LAB, which has this, which has these properties that when you change a value in, when you, when you take a step of a given size in one of the directions in, in that, in that, in that space, you get the same change, uh, no matter where you are, basically. So you can, you can actually predict how much the color changes. Whereas if you do that with RGB or with like the, the kind of things that we're used to from just kind of general computer use, those are much less predictable and you change things at the same time. Like you change the color and the hue and the saturation and the brightness at the same time, which you don't want because it then becomes unpredictable. And so what she did was look at this for things that are, that we do in visualization, like, for example, small dots in a scatter plot or lines that are long, but thin in a line chart. And she found, of course, that some of the rules that people know and, and that, that they've developed and they're actually pretty well established, uh, that those don't apply in visualization or have to be modified in, in database. And she built a whole bunch of models around that that are better and that are more useful for data visualization so that you can actually change colors in or predict what colors look like, how they differ or how they not differ, uh, in a visualization context more than, uh, than in, in, in a general kind of context. And she did that by running a large number of, of studies in, on the mechanical Turk and just kind of trying this out and, and to see how people saw things th- as different or the mm-hmm. same. Uh, in in those in those contexts
2: uh, what what are the main effects i mean mark size is traditionally i mean people know that yeah. if we have small marks it's harder to differentiate colors just because right, yeah, exactly. the elements yeah. are so small Because you have are a there any other like new findings like which types of marks or which types of graphics exhibit funny effects in terms of colors
0: <laughs> uh, i don't remember a lot of details like i think there was something about the lines because lines can be when they're thin, they're also hard. they're basically a lot like small dots because they're just they're long, but they're also thin, so you're mm-hmm. not getting enough color there. Um, oh, and bars. So, so in a bar chart the width of the bar is actually pretty interesting and important. So the aspect ratio of the bars plays a role. And so she has a number of ways to predict it. And she has a lot of stuff in that paper. So I don't remember uh, many of those details, but there was something about bars and like the, the width and even the spacing between them, I think that like how much, how much uh white you can see between the, the bars. Mm-hmm. And of mm-hmm. course this is all actually using white backgrounds and, uh, you don't even want to get started with colored backgrounds or black as a background <laughs> yeah, because then yeah. the contrast is way off and and everything gets way messier. Yeah. But with white backgrounds, we now have a pretty good handle, I think, on, on being able to predict and to even change colors so they look more similar, even though they're actually different. But but because we've we've messed with them and we know how to change them, we can actually make them look more similar that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. And one more, uh, comment here is that, 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 because I think it's interesting that all the best paper nominees or not the nominees, but all the best paper awards and honorable mentions this year in InfoVis were all written by women. Yeah. So all, huh. all the authors on all those papers were all women. So that, that's, yeah, that's cool. pretty nice. remarkable, uh, in, in, and something that, that I wouldn't have expected <laughs> to be quite honest in, in InfoViz, <laughs> even though we're doing better now, I think, with, uh, with gender balance, but but it's still it's quite amazing to see that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah,
3: it's cool. Yeah.
0: yeah. And Jessica did her part for that.
3: <laughs> Should I move on to my next one or? Yeah, good. Jessica, else yeah, talk about yeah. that one. Um, yeah. Okay, so it's, it's one of my papers, which I feel a little weird about talking about, but Enrico <laughs> yeah. suggested. I asked yes, you to, it's not my to fault. cover
1: this one. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. think it's important. <laughs>
3: Okay, cool. Thank you. So it's called Data Through Others' Eyes, The Impact of Visualizing Others' Expectations on Visualization and Interpretation. Uh, This is by my student, Yessel Kim, and also Katerina Reineke was a collaborator um, from UW. And so um, I guess first off, uh, so that it's not just my paper I'm talking about, I want to... Say, I guess that this paper, um, that we did and some, another paper actually, uh, by Jagoda Walney and Sheila Carpendale, I think are kind of along the same lines or sort of same area. Um, they were both in the same session. It was a really good session about kind of understanding visualizations, how they work. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jagoda's work was about active reading applied to visualization. Um, so the way we active read a text, like, does it help to also do that with visualization, like make marks? Um, and then Yesle's paper is about some work we've been doing where we're looking at what happens if you use a visualization to actually show people's expectations of data. And so I think these two papers, before I start talking about hers in depth, um, I just wanted to point out that they're kind of both about using visualization to externalize your knowledge, whether it's your prior knowledge, which is what we've been looking at, like how do we actually bring that into visualization interaction? Or in Jagoda's case, kind of your knowledge as it emerges, you're kind of writing on the graph. And so I think that's kind of a really cool space that's like uh, much much bigger than we've seen uh, work in at least so far so um, this particular paper or data through other others eyes, Um, is looking at, uh, so what happens if you show people alongside the data in a visualization what other people think about that data? So what would someone's predictions be for whatever the phenomena is that you're showing them? So, um, uh, some of you maybe have seen this New York Times thing where they, uh, wanted people to look at like the relationship between parents' income level and I think the percentage of children that go to college or, um, the rate of going to college. And so they had people actually predict the data before they saw it in the graph. Um, And uh, then they'll show you everybody else's predictions after you've made your prediction. So you can kind of compare, here's my prediction, here's the actual data and here's, or here's the actual trend and here's what everybody else thought. So we did one paper before where we found that if you have people predict data in a visualization, it helps them to better basically remember that data. And so this paper was asking, well, what happens if you just show people others' expectations alongside the data? Does it have kind of the same effect? Does it get people to like pay more attention to the data? Does it get them to sort of question the data? For instance, in cases where other people disagree with the trend in the data, like how does that affect what? someone believes um, and what they remember. So we did a series of studies where we uh, created different visualizations, where uh, we'd show other people's actual expectations, but they would either kind of align with the data or they would be sort of contrary to what the data said. Um, sometimes uh, the other people's expectations had a high degree of consensus, so it looked like everybody agreed. Other times it looked like there was some disagreement among people. Um, and so we're basically kind of looking at uh, how this affects what people remember from about the data and how this affects... Um, whether they update their beliefs towards the data. So do they believe the data enough that they change their beliefs or um, are they less likely to change their beliefs and what we found um, were, I mean, a few things that I think make sense. So one is that people care about what other people think. So social information, um, mm-hmm. in in some cases, mm-hmm. if, it, if it appeared like people had some consensus, then people remembered the data better. Um, if the social information conveyed that, like, people, there was a lot of disagreement, like there was a lot of variance in it, then actually people didn't remember as well. Like, I think they did worse. So it's like it can distract people, but it can also focus their attention or, like, sort of um, – uh yeah just basically uh focused their attention we clearly labeled that it was social information so people knew that they were looking at other people's beliefs and it it changed memory and then we also found that um it can make people question the data. So if they think that other people disagree with the data, um, then uh, they'll question it more. Of course, what they believe also matters. So um, we looked at kind of what they believed before we showed them anything so that we could kind of account for that. So it's I think it's an interesting paper looking at this space of like, you know, the things that people take into account and how it relates to their own prior knowledge when they're deciding what to believe after they've seen a visualization. Yeah. So yeah, that was... That was that paper. (laughs) That's great. I I love
2: how this this nice design or or presentation, narrative idea, like sparks this whole research. You know, of like okay, hey, let's think about expectations. I I think that's fantastic. So,
3: yeah, it's actually one of these things where I think it's been around in cognitive psychology again. Mm -hmm. Like nobody has really looked at like how do we actually get people to like visualize their own thoughts right, in the right. visualization but there is yeah. a lot in psychology saying that like internal representations mm-hmm. matter yeah. like what sure, we believe sure. really matters so yeah um yeah it's kind of like kind of coming to the forefront or like coming into actual design of tools which i think is cool mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. yeah and you're right it was always like separate in a sense that this is internal this is external but by becoming yeah, external yeah. or being presented in the same framework as the finding or as the facts uh, that's the smart trick here, that it works in the same yeah. coordinate system, right? Yeah, that's very good.
3: I think one of the things I really like, too, is that I think we always think that the data in the visualization is like the absolute truth. Uh-huh. And I think that's not yeah. really like a, a smart view. I mean, like um, any sort of Bayesian inference tells you that the data is just one thing and you should combine it with your mm-hmm. prior knowledge. <laughs> and so I like that it's like we're kind of modeling what do people do with the data relative to what's in their head or relative to other signals. So
2: Yeah. Very interesting.
3: Bayesian visualization will be like a session. <laughs> this will be year.
2: <laughs> Probabilistic belief adjustments. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> Robert, what was what was your <laughs> third highlight?
0: So the, my last one is uh, is the best paper from VAST, and this is the opposite of, of Danielle's paper because it, it has like twelve thousand authors. But this is called uh, visualizing <laughs> data flow graphs of deep learning models in TensorFlow by him Wang and and colleagues uh, both at uh I think mostly at at uh, Google research but also I think a few people from from YouTube uh, I'm not actually sure no no, no. Okay. I think it's this yeah all, just Google all Google okay and so this is a a system that that he built there or that they built there to uh, as part of of Google's deep learning uh, visualization kind of initiative. So they do a lot of, of work on, on deep learning and they build these very large, complicated networks of, of, of algorithms that kind of work together to make, uh, one of these deep learning things. I don't know a whole lot about deep learning. So I'm just kind of making up stuff mm-hmm. here from looking at these diagrams. <laughs> but so what, what they do is they build the end, up, you end up with lots of little steps that happen in there and, they, uh, and it's hard to understand and debug these. And so what you end up with, uh, tr- or what you're trying to do is you, you try to understand what's happening in them, inside them. But when you just look at, at like hundreds of, of steps, it's really hard to understand that. So what they do is they cluster them together into these kind of larger nodes and show how they are connected. And then you can expand those and look at individual ones and say, well, what's actually happening inside that? But it makes it easier to, to understand that flow of the data through this network from the input which has like all kinds of images whatever coming in to the output which then tells you what's in the image or what's what what whatever else you're trying to to get out of it and this seems like a, a really interesting system it, it looked really impressive in in the demos and it's all open source too so you can you can play with that you can you can run it on top of uh google's deep learning stuff and And build your own networks that way. And it just and it also kind of embodied this 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 topic that kind of uh, that was really present this year at Viz, which is machine learning and and the importance of that and the interplay between machine learning and and visualization.
1: Yeah. I think there were lots of sessions on on machine learning in in Viz this year, right? Yes. And I have to
0: say that I, I missed most of them, but there was there was a workshop on Sunday, I believe, there was a panel There were a number of papers, and this was one of them. Um, And just in general, I think there was a lot of interest in that. There were also posters on it. I didn't see much of that, but there was certainly – it was just a thing that that, that was just visible everywhere the whole week.
1: Yeah, okay. Okay so these were the main uh, picks from uh, from uh, Jessica and Robert. Uh let's go quickly through some of the other events. So maybe we can quickly talk about the the panels. Did you did you see anything interesting there?
3: So I think uh so I was not there unfortunately I had a baby with me so it was mm-hmm. a little limited how much panels I could attend but I heard about the diversity panel and I just wanted to say I think it's good that Viz is actually thinking about diversity. Um I I think there were multiple speakers who had a sort of different uh, viewpoints from what I heard about diversity or just different experience with it. Um, but I know there is, uh, there are people actually trying to get people from outside of the traditional sort of pools into Viz. So there's like a, a workshop that's being run to broaden participation in Viz. Uh, somewhere in, in an Eastern university. I can't remember which one, but it's by, uh, v-
0: Purdue, Purdue University. Oh yeah. Purdue so this is Bird okay. running that. Yeah.
3: Uh-huh. Bird. Yeah. So I've had students go to that. And I think it's great. Um, and I think it really does help people come in who don't necessarily have a computer science background. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. In this case, I mean, diversity means a lot of things, of and course. we should be talking about it sure. a lot more in VIZ. But I think it's a good start to have a panel, um, and so I hope this is something that continues.
0: Yeah, yes, yeah, definitely. So I, I, I was there for the panel. It, I found the the presentations a bit long and and not super mm-hmm. exciting, but I think they they talked about very interesting and important topics. So that was that was the, I think the. That So, having it there kind of as, as a signal to say, yes, we actually think this is important, that was really a good first step. And I hope we're going to actually be able to do more in this direction. So, there's the Viz, um workshop that you just mentioned mm-hmm. that's that's uh, that is run at, at Purdue. There's also a, a more general, there are several more general things, like there's Grace Hopper celebration of women in computing, or uh, not even computing, it's in STEM now, I'm not even sure. But, uh, or at least in computing. <laughs> I'm not trying to yeah. over, over <laughs> broaden this, but that's so that that is a, a huge conference actually that took place at the same time as Viz, and very few people in this seem to know about that. There's also yeah. another one, um, that is named after some guy and I can't remember the name right now, but there <laughs> is a, uh, this is about broadening participation in computer science, STEM in general, uh, and, uh, there are a few more uh, things like that. So there, there, there are, and then there are, uh, there are things like at, at Kai. There's this Kai me, uh, or I don't know how they actually pronounce that, but there is like
2: a yeah a program at, at Kai, Kai. Now
0: that, that that's that's actually sizable. It's like forty people or so there where they are trying to help people to navigate the conference with that haven't been there before and stuff like that. I and think
3: actually that happened too this year at Viz. I think Viz Newcomers, some people, Jagoda, mm. I think was involved in arranging to sort of help people be there the first time and like figure out what to go to or just meet people, which I think is, is pretty cool. Right.
0: So that was the, the Viz Newcomers thing. And that's also, that's been around for a little bit. So there was, well, not that exact program, but, but they've, they've been mm-hmm. trying this before. Like that was the Viz Buddies thing this year. And before that, we had like the Viz uh, Lunch with the Leaders thing. and. So like that and those are all good things and then also this this year the first time they had this program on sunday about diversity which was a i think a kind of a mix of a workshop and just kind of having people interact and talk to each other and 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 just get to know each other a bit and i did i wasn't there for that but i think that so th- there is more starting up it's not just the panel it's also really people starting to actually do things to help people know who's in the field and and be more comfortable talking to people and also getting advice and stuff so i think that's that's all helpful to get to help people just uh get ahead and 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 be successful in this field even when they're coming from from outside mm-hmm. from from maybe backgrounds where they don't have that and
3: to just feel accepted like to feel yes. that they're welcome which i think is is just it's not that hard but we need to put effort into it.
0: Oh for sure yeah yeah it's it's always e- it's always easy for us in the field to say. Well, I thought that hard, but it's <laughs> yeah. you know it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's not that easy when <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, yeah. the outside. So,
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, but it's true. Like so little true. things can go along the way there, and but at the yeah. same time, you have to figure out the the right tone and yeah, just identify the problem. Mm-hmm. So and all this takes years, but it's it's great that it's uh, the first steps are being made. So I'm
0: happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Good.
1: Anything else worth mentioning? I think, Robert, you briefly mentioned the industry panel. I just want to say I think it's it's great to see. I think that's, that's been a recurring kind of event where the organizers try to pick people from industry and from research and discuss how to connect research with industry. So I think that's, that's a great initiative in general.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wasn't actually there, but I know some of the people who were on the panel. And so I I think that's what they were talking about. There's also the vision practice thing where they're trying to get people, practitioners, which is this very broad term to, to tell them, well, here are things that might be relevant to you. And so they're not just like the super academic paper talks, but also like panels and workshops and, and tutorials and things like that. And, uh, so there, there's that, that's happening more. It's still a challenge because you, as somebody who's not in academia and who doesn't really have an academic interest, you probably wouldn't find that much stuff to really mm-hmm. make it worthwhile mm-hmm. to go to this for the whole week. But it's it's certainly an effort that they do, that they're making there. Sure.
1: Okay, so maybe we can move on to we can briefly mention the art program, and. Uh, and I think a big highlight of the conference was Georgia Lupi, she's been doing a, a few things. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm so happy that we decided to invite her, and I think Georgia has been doing some data drawing sessions in the art program, which I, unfortunately I, I didn't attend. And she also gave, a, 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 as far as I can tell, a great capstone, so maybe can can you briefly comment on that?
0: So Georgia was there for about a day and a half, so she was there on Thursday to, to run this data drawing workshop. and. The idea there was she and I actually I have to admit I wasn't actually there for the beginning, but then I, I I crashed that and I just kinda walked around and talked to people. But the uh what she did was she she just started talking about sketching and drawing and then showed people paintings and drawings as inspiration that weren't about data at all. But to say, look at these things, these look very different from the kind of thing that you usually see in visualization, use these as as inspiration and then uh, they had a number of data sets or they had i think one data set that they looked at and then the the idea was to draw that data in kind of a style that was very different from your usual visualization and i was really surprised by how well people were doing that not because of the drawing itself but because i think it's actually harder for us in visualization because we're so used to certain kinds of, of how data is represented. Like, you know, it's, it's bar charts and tree maps and this and that. So you have an idea what data looks like. But then you saw these people drawing things that didn't look like that at all. So they did really unusual stuff with that. <laughs> so that was really impressive. I, I thought, so So Georgia somehow got them, like kicked them out of their usual headspace and <laughs> got them to think in totally different ways. So that was really impressive. I thought it was really, really cool. And there was some really... Beautiful things that they were drawing. So I, I, I didn't do any drawing. So luckily, because I'm really horrible at that, <laughs> but there were some really good, good things there that I, I really enjoyed. And then she gave this amazing capstone talk on Friday and people were really, I think, really amazed by that. So she had, she has these, all these projects that, you, you know, you may or may not have heard of. There is the data, the dear data project where she was sending these postcards back and forth between her and, um, uh, uh, Stephanie, Stephanie Posavec. And uh, and so uh, they they had this whole idea of of collecting data and then drawing that data and the, each week so for a year uh, the, every week they had they had some data collection project and and then they would draw that data in some way and what I I hadn't really realized until she gave this talk for some reason was just how important it was for them to collect that data mm. and themselves and it being unusual data. Like they, at some point they had like a thing where they went into their closets and, and categorized their clothes. And like Georgia was surprised by how many clothes she had from her ex-boyfriends that she had kept. And that was like (laughs) one, one, one category of clothes she had and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. It was just, you know, these are things that you just, there's no way to like have an app or whatever that, that, that collects that stuff. Right. And so that's really, really interesting. And. Of course, um, they've been incredibly successful with their data. They have this book out. The, uh, the postcards have been acquired by the Museum of Modern Art in, in New York. And then they, they, they commissioned Georgia to draw a, a sort of, uh, an overview drawing of, uh, an exhibit about fashion. And they didn't have data for it. So there was, no, there was, there were no numbers. It was all this, this collection <laughs> of, of things of these, these pieces of clothing. And, and then there were the notes from the curator, and that was it. And so what Georgia did was, or the, Georgia and 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 folks like Robert Caprilia and others, they went into that and started categorizing the notes and making this into a table, and then started drawing that and like, sketching that. And so Georgia ended up building this beautiful mural, basically of these of of the of the data that she had collected. But it was entirely from scratch; like this, nothing, none of that had ex- existed before. And it makes this amazing. I don't know, this this amazing opener for for this whole exhibit it's really it's really fascinating and I, I didn't know much about like I did know know very little about fashion in general but uh th- we we also went to lunch with her afterwards and and they they were super excited about this and they talked about like all these things and what they all meant and how they had figured out <laughs> how those pieces fit together and into this exhibit and how you can like combine different kinds of clothing from different eras and it's it's really fascinating stuff like it's I was really Surprised by how interested I was in all this fashion stuff. Something. So it's, it's, like, it's a matter of framing that and understanding. It means the it's a successful product. Sure. It doesn't surprise it, me at yeah. all. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah. I love, I'm looking at myself now. I'm like, oh, okay, I, I need to. Do better, with <laughs> clothing. and it's no. It's about like how you send messages, like how, when you when you wear things to, to send a message versus uh, wear something to fit in and things like that. But then the final thing I want to <laughs> just briefly talk about, not to make this too long, is this project that she talked about, uh, where she worked with a a musician, uh, Kaki King, I think is her mm-hmm. name, and what they did was that they together collected data. So that was that was the first part of their process, and then. Then Kaki wrote a song using that data, like she represented that those numbers in a piece of music. And then Georgia took th- the playing of that, of that piece of music and drew that <laughs> and basically turned it back into data somehow and turned and drew that. And then they combined that so that the, the drawing they animated that, which is an enormous amount of work. It's just unbelievable how much work this is to do this magnitude. <laughs> but they they did an animation of this those drawings, and then made that the video for the song essentially. So you can play the song and see the animate the animated drawing happen. And it's, it's, it's mind blowing. So that people were (laughs) just, just stunned when she was playing that. It was really, really good. Is it
3: online?
0: Yes. Yeah. You you can, when you go to my blog, you can see the links to all of this stuff. I think you actually have the video embedded and, but it's hard to really appreciate that, that video when you haven't seen the talk. Like there's so much about this whole process and where it all, how it all happened. It's really amazing. But you have to watch that video like a few times to really appreciate the, the, like the precision and, and all the information that's, that's in there. Um, it's, so it's, it's really interesting, and, and I really like Georgia's work because she's been she's been just doing things that are that are outside of what visualization is doing usually, because she's coming from this much more designy side. But and 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 early on, I remember when Acurat was doing. So Akurat is is Georgia and Gabriela's uh, uh, design studio that they started in 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 Milan, I think uh, years ago, and and are now in, based in New York and, and Milan, I guess still. But they started by doing these things that people said, well, yeah, this is like infographics and we're not really, you know, we don't really like this all that much because it's too much decoration. But now everybody's <laughs> like, whoa, this is a different way of doing things. And it's actually really relevant because it it's 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 much more interesting in many ways to what people actually want to know from that data. Yeah. And this whole idea of collecting your data yourself and on and, and having a real connection with your data. I think it's really interesting and really impactful. So I think a lot of people got a lot out of that that capstone, and and hopefully started thinking about that in, in some in some new ways.
1: Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> okay, so um, I think it's time to wrap up. Um, is there anything else you you want to talk about? Maybe any other?
3: We didn't talk about the the vis uh, the vision science vis oh, times okay. whatever they called it. Yeah. And I just, I do think it's worth mentioning briefly. So I was not there, but I had a student go who was very excited about it because he's coming from vision science. Um, His name's Alex Kale. So I heard a report. I think Robert said he was there for a little bit, but... Basically, what uh, I think it's vision science people trying to work on InfoViz, which I think is really cool because I'm – for my student, I'm actually learning more about vision science methods. And I feel like there's a ton that could be used in InfoViz. Yeah. And we've already used a little bit of it, but I think we've just begun. Um, and so I think they're actually – this is like a group that's um, – Planning to continue sort of just having a presence, like making sure that uh there's some connection between vision science and infovis uh so um I think it's it's cool I, my student loved it. I can't really speak to like how people talked on the the panel or the meetup, but um I just think it's a cool area
0: yeah, oh yeah, for sure, and you, you can sign up, so there's this visx vision website that you' should probably link to from the show notes, and you can sign up there and they have like a slack channel. And, and, and there's people who, who have been doing work in the field, like Stephen Frank Mary and the Fiatus Ruiz Rosenholz and, um, mm-hmm. a handful of other people who you, you probably would have seen in, in, in Viz. And, 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 uh, just kind of as a, Kind of overall comment. We like to like pick little pieces from from vision science and from perceptual <laughs> psychology, and then I kind yeah. of hold on to them forever, yeah. rather than really knowing what what the field does. Yeah. Like this whole idea of uh, pre-attentive vision is one that that we picked up in the 90s, <laughs> and everybody talks about it, but it's actually pretty much it's nobody believes it anymore in 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 vision research. Yes. So they're they're yeah. done with they've been done with this idea for five or 10 years now, and so we're, we're still us. like, oh yeah, pre-attentive. And <laughs> so we just need to update our idea about what's going on in this area and be a bit smarter about that and not just like say, oh, we know three terms from from psychology, so now we're, we know. Uh, I
3: think the methods too are like powerful, oh, like sure. they can help us explain like what's happening. Why, why do people perceive better with one visualization? Um, like I don't think we do enough of that explanatory stuff. I think Steve Hales talks about this also. There is a few people, Ron Rensink, who feel strongly that we could do better science, if you want to call that, uh, use that term for what we do, um, <laughs> if we use these methods.
0: <laughs> Sorry. Right. That's, a, I nice, just have that's a nice way of, <laughs> of the whole serious, thing because we started by talking about uh, accidentally doing science, and now we're, we're back to <laughs> yeah, accidental science.
3: No, no, we really want to be scientists. We're we're trying really hard.
1: <laughs> <laughs> or maybe we should. (laughs) stop and do something else.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's it's great to see this happening as well. And I have to say, so Uh, Every time I go in class and teach the part on perception, I feel very uncomfortable. It's like, yeah, I'm repeating what I, what I, what I, what I read (laughs) and it's like, then students ask questions and I'm like, "Mm, maybe I don't know (laughs) this topic very well. So it's (laughs) like, yeah. That's how I feel about color. I hate,
3: I hate teaching color.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's my, actually my upcoming class. So don't, don't tell me.
0: (laughs) But color, I think, is actually better understood than most of the yeah, other areas. That's in, in that's so yeah, that's true. That's true. At least for, for in, in, from, for, from within the visualization, I think we've got a better yeah. idea there than in many other areas.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I think we can quickly wrap it up. I just want to say that uh, I want to thank you, first of all. Then briefly say that um, if you're listening to this, we, we're going to put uh, lots of links in our show notes. Also, Robert has, as usual, a six-part coverage of the conference in his uh, blog Eager Eyes, and uh, Steve Harrow's published um, a very nice webpage that tries to collect not only the, the all the um, links to the uh, all the links to the papers that are available, but also when available. Um, uh, supplementary material and um, and videos. So I think this makes uh, going through the the program a much a much much better and interesting experience. So yeah, I just encourage you to to go through this uh, material and it's much more it's richer than than usual. And um, I also want to briefly mention that the next vis is gonna be in Berlin, so back to, to Europe. Hey. <laughs> uh, I don't know, Moritz. Do you do you do you plan to be there? <laughs> so that would be Definitely, a- definitely. And so every every I'm really every looking 40, forward to that. Yeah.
2: There's a great scene yeah. in Berlin, like in terms of schools yeah. and practitioners. Yeah, and I think exactly. this, this will be a special one. And uh yeah, yeah, I, I hope one. I can be part of it in some way. Yeah. In some way, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's great.
1: Um mm. Okay. Thanks, to cool. ma- thanks so much, Jessica and Robert, for yeah, donating some of your time to do that. <laughs>
3: Thank you. It was fun.
1: Sure. Yeah. Great
2: overview. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
1: Data Stories is brought to you by Click. Are you missing out on meaningful relationships hidden in your data? Unlock the old story with ClickSense through personalized visualizations and dynamic dashboards, which you can download for free at click.de slash datastories.